life. And tonight we'll be talking about um, speech in the home. Now, Pastor Joe, I think you entitled this language in the home. And when I heard that, I thought, don't use that language, right? (laughs) So what kind of language? Well, we're talking about speech, the way we talk. Um, And as, as I was thinking about who is usually here on a Sunday evening, we have some families and there are some of us, some of you who have no longer have little children at home or children at home. Um, but as I was thinking about the applicability, of course, it doesn't really matter where we are. This is good things for us to reflect on. And it doesn't really matter where you are. You are in a place of influence in how families function in the life of the church. Maybe it's an interaction you have with children in children's ministry. Maybe it's encouraging another parent, praying for them. Maybe it's your own grandkids or your adult children in conversation. So wherever you are on the map, um, I think there will be things for you here as we reflect uh, on the truth of God's word and how we apply it to our lives. Um, one other thing I want to say is, of course, as we talk here, and um, you know, I say this when I teach parenting classes as well, that um, I, um, I speak better than I live, right? Um, that these are not only principles that guide us, guide me, uh, that orient the way we function as a family, um, but we don't ever function in the fullness of our ideals or the principles of scripture. Um, So I want to encourage you, wherever you are at, wherever this hits you, um, to hear it and respond and keep moving in a direction, a trajectory of faithfulness to the word of God. So I pray that you would be encouraged, maybe challenged, and helped as we reflect on this tonight. I want to begin um, with a a word of testimony that I th- that leads into to the topic and some of the things that have been impactful in our own lives and my own life. Um, when we first started here at Calvary, we had the opportunity to be ministering to the youth, and that meant that um, we were focused on how do we effectively serve the young people of Calvary? Um, how do we communicate the truth to them? How do we disciple them well? And so that meant that I was particularly interested in discipleship of teenagers. And so I was reading that, reflecting on that, looking at resources, um, thinking about how to apply biblical principles to that aspect of ministry in the life of the church, considering the tendencies of youth, what, what are the um, tendencies, what are the uh, ways that youth typically struggle, how do we meet those needs, address those needs. And then as we were thinking on that, as you know, Aaron and I would talk about that, um, we came, and as we were starting ministry, our eldest, our only child, Adelaide, was three months old. But in God's great grace and kindness, what that meant was we began to think about parenting young children in light of the struggles of teenagers and then, you know, as they go on into adulthood. And to think, what, what do we want to do in our home What principles, what practices, what approaches do we want to establish now with our small daughter, who can't speak yet, but as we're thinking about that, what do we we want to establish now that we end up having this kind of family life with our teenagers, where we have these kind of practices or these kind of conversations? And so that was profoundly helpful. It meant as we thought about parenting young children, and as we're reflecting on God's instruction to parenting young children, we're also thinking about the implications for what that looks like as our children grow. 
And I think that really helped us um, think carefully and think more fully about the way Scripture guides us and directs us in how we shape our home. And I'm very thankful to the Lord for that. Um, one of the rich blessings of ministry um, that we were reading, I was reading those resources and how that was shaping how we were thinking about parenting um, in the early years as well. Um, so I give God thanks for that. And, and, and I want to um, just really express my thankfulness for all the influences that have shaped us as parents. And as we think about the scriptures, of course, most of all, my parents shaped that as well. One last note of testimony I want to say here that, you know, as I'm talking about this, I'm, I'm reflecting on home life, um, on how we parent and how we do that. And, and maybe, the biggest, maybe, maybe the biggest influence on my parenting is Aaron as we talk about parenting, as we challenge each other, think about it, seek to apply it in various ways. And I just want to acknowledge um, how influential Aaron is in the shaping of our home. And there are ways that I'm going to speak, and Aaron might be thinking, hey, I had that thought first. I, I don't know. It's so long ago, I forget, right? But I just want to acknowledge that and acknowledge the unique role that mothers play in shaping the culture, the, the speech culture, um, the way children speak in the home. And God knew what he was doing when he gave families mothers and fathers. And both are given by God to influence the home and to shape the speech of the home, the conversation in the home. And um, both are vital and important, and I want to acknowledge that. Firstly, there's a requirement, a biblical requirement that we have to cultivate a richly biblical culture in our home. That's broad, the way we function, um, the things we do, um, but we're thinking particularly the speech culture, the verbal culture, the conversational culture in our home. And I want to go to Deuteronomy 6. We read that this morning, and I saw that. I thought, that's great. We're reading it, and we're going to reflect on it. And I want to go to Deuteronomy 6 and just make a few comments from this passage um, in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 6, and these are the words that I command you today that shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, you shall, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. This instruction, I think, is it is reverberating in Paul's words in Ephesians 6, 4, um, talking about parenting there. So I just want to make some comments here. We, we might at first think maybe that what God's commanding is that parents should be like Bible-quoting machines, and so that whether you rise up in the morning, whether you go about the day, you're just regurgitating Scripture verbatim. It's, it's good to repeat scripture, but I think what is at work here in this passage is something deeper and richer and more compelling and I think more challenging than merely regurgitating scripture. What, what's being talked about here is that whatever part of the day you're in, you are to be instructing your children in the ways of the Lord. That they would, by your instruction, that your children would breathe 
um, biblical truth and how they look at the world and how they function and certainly how they talk. So this is not talking at children. This is talking with children about God's word, thinking of Paul's words now, so that the children, our children would understand whatever they're doing, whether they're eating or whether they're drinking, they would know how it is they might glorify God. That, there's a, that, that we are so instructing our children that our children intuit a biblical outlook, a biblical view, a biblical um, perspective. Um, it just is so infused in their living, in their day-to-day experiences. Um, that, that, that their, their reflexes might be shaped by the word of God. And not just their reflexes in thinking, but their reflexes in speech as well. The speech sensibilities, the conversational sensibilities might be shaped by the word of God. So here we see in, in Deuteronomy 6 this instruction by God that we are instructing our children particularly to the topic here, so that their words, their speech would be shaped by God's truth. Um, that there would be such an atmosphere of conversation in the home that it naturally sounds biblical. It naturally reflects the word of God, whether it's um, statements about God or whether it's the way we function, the way we talk, that that would reflect the nature of God. As I read Deuteronomy 6 here, there's another passage in the New Testament I think of, and that's Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the world. Don't live in such a way, we look, two Sunday nights ago, we were reflecting on this, right? Don't live in such a way that the world is shaping your perceptions, shaping your conversations, shaping the topic of your conversations, shaping the words you use, but be renewed that you might be transformed to be people living in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. As we think about our speech, that our speech, the words we use, would be pleasing to the Lord. So Deuteronomy 6 is, a, is, is this instruction by God, the direction by God, that our home life, our family life, should be so pervasively biblical that it just comes out in what we say and what we do and how we do it. Why don't we just pause there for a minute? And just think about the implications there and the difficulty. What what I'm basically saying is just be faithful to God in your speech. And on the one hand, that's a very straightforward statement, right? But how hard is it to be faithful to God faithfully, thoroughly, completely? It's difficult. It's spiritual warfare. So it's it's a straightforward instruction, but it's an instruction that um, has a great deal of challenge to it. So with that in mind, I'd like to jump to Luke chapter 6. And I want to reflect briefly on the direct connection between the heart and our speech. Luke chapter 6 and verse 43. Luke 6 verse 43. Words of Jesus here. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. Now, this is a broad statement. Our actions, the way we live, 
What we do reflects what's in our heart. But Jesus makes a specific application here to a specific element of our living. Last phrase in verse 45. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The first challenge um, that I think we should hear as parents is that the way we talk to our kids reflects what's in our heart. Like that, that does, that's maybe the, the biggest challenge tonight, is that the, the, the greatest influence of speech in our home is our speech as parents, and our speech as parents, our conduct as parents, um, is so challenged here, right? Um, our, our tiredness, um, our impatient with our children's immaturity or our children's sin, maybe it's our spouse's immaturity or sin, um, maybe we're, we grew up in a home that there was harsh language and so it's hard for us to not use harsh language. Maybe we grew up in a home that didn't say much at all. And so our tendency is not to use speech well. We just don't speak much. And so maybe it's the challenge of Scripture. Uh, it's, it's the challenge of Scripture challenging our heart's instincts not to actually say much at all. But here's the, here's the reminder. What comes out of our mouth reflects something that's in our hearts. And so this is a challenge, of course, but this is the, the hope of the gospel. If that's the reality and Christ comes to transform our hearts, then there's hope that as we submit to the word of God and as we trust in Christ, we will gradually know the work of Christ transforming our hearts so that our speech does begin to change and does begin to sound more and more like Christ would have it sound. So there's the personal application to parents, but then to parenting, the, the speech that comes out of our children's mouths is reflective of what's in their hearts. And um, that's important. Uh, we, we, the speech that comes out of, our heart, out of our children helps us know something that's happening in their hearts. But there might be a tendency that we as parents would use this principle to clobber our children. So... That speech that came out of your heart, you have a sinful, wicked heart, deal with it, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, we would never say it quite like that, of course, would we? But, but that's kind of what... You can hear, do you hear how we can clobber our children's with this, children with this principle? We're, we're just like smacking them down. That, that speech, it needs to stop. It's, it's just from a, a sinful heart. And sometimes it's appropriate to say that in, the, in, in larger context of instruction, but one of the dangers we can come to with that is that we miss the opportunity to actually help our children understand the connection between their heart and their speech. So that rather than clobber our children with this principle, we want to invite our children with this principle to reflect on their heart, to understand what's happening in their heart, and to see the connection between what's in their heart and the speech that comes out of their mouth, and then to direct them to the hope of the gospel. We, we want to draw out their heart and to apply the gospel to their lives. And of course, parenting is not just about, uh, it is this, let me say it in a positive way, parenting is this combination, right, of parenting our children as spiritual beings, but parenting our children who are in this process of maturing. So we instruct them, we cause them to see the connection between angry words and an angry heart. And we also lead them to know how to respond in a helpful 
true way. So we're instructing their hearts, but also we would want to instruct their speech, address their hearts and say, here's a more appropriate way to respond. And we want to teach them the speech patterns that connect with the heart concerns that we have. We don't want to help our kids be good little Pharisees, right? We want to, we want, but we want to connect the virtues of the heart with virtuous speech. And it's learned. The heart attitude is learned, and the speech patterns are learned as well. So we want them to learn what gracious, gracious speech sounds like. We want to, them to learn to speak when they're offended or hurt by something in a way that doesn't heap um, fire on, a, on, on the kindling of an argument that maybe is already there. Um, one other thing is if we jump on our children, as it were, and use this principle to clobber our children, um, what we do is we, we, um, we miss out on actually um, knowing our children well. We want to draw that out of their heart. We want them to be able to express what's in their heart. Think of a proverb we read, Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So this principle we're reading in Luke is a principle that's helpful to understand the connection between harsh speech and an attitude of selfishness or pride, maybe. But also, there's a principle at work here, and that is the heart is expressed. And one of the primary ways the heart is expressed is through words. And so we want to spend time as parents drawing what is in our children's hearts out. And to be able to do that, there needs to be an avenue for them to express that. And let me just give you an example. So if our, children, if our child is angry... We might clobber them with the passage by saying, you're, you're being angry with your speech, you have an angry heart, stop it. But what we haven't done is understand why they have an angry heart. So we want to carefully address an angry heart, but we also want to provide an opportunity to draw out of their heart what it is that's making them angry. And, you know, as parents, we never find the sweet spot of perfect balance, do we? We just kind of need to know, are we, are we unnecessarily having an, 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 an indulgent conversation that's evading um, consequences? Or are we too quickly drawing attention to an issue and not giving time for our children to actually speak? I think of just a wider discipleship context of church. Here's how it plays out. We, we know certain things are sinful, But in order for somebody to talk about their sinful struggles, there needs to be space for them to talk about it, right? Without just saying, don't do it, you need to stop it. So as we think about the connection between our hearts and our speech, we need to be thinking about maybe extremes we might go to and pursuing a path of wisdom in connecting speech patterns with the heart and also drawing out the heart to hear what is actually helping. We want to correct wrong thinking. We want to lead our children to wisdom, to use words well. And in order to do that, we need to be willing to sit in an uncomfortable space where we're hearing our children express sinful attitudes and actions. It takes wisdom to know how to do that well. 
But unless we allow our children to do that, we're never going to be able to actually enter into their experience and really help them to correct their thinking, to correct their perspective in a helpful way. Um, Another aspect uh, that I want to uh, reflect on here is that as we think about speech in our home and the kind of speech patterns that are in our home, I think one of the things that that can happen in our home um, is that our children might be quick to judge their siblings. Our children might be quick to critique or demean their siblings or to shame their siblings. And what that does is it creates an environment in the home where our children are not comfortable to talk about some of the things that are happening deep in their heart. I think this is really critical, and I think it's really hard to do well. And that is to create an environment that our children um, are free to express half-baked ideas, maybe wrestle with some sin, maybe express some naivety or confusion, maybe, maybe to say some dumb things. If there's ever a place in this world that I want our children um, to feel comfortable being themselves in the awkwardness of growth, and that is in the context of the home. And so um, I think it's really important that we as, as parents, we as adults, maybe this is just adult siblings, that you're working to cultivate an environment with your speech that welcomes humility that welcomes some transparency, that allows for those conversations to happen without a sense of quick condemnation, without shutting them down, without shaming them, but to be able to have the kind of conversation that leads into the kind of discussion that growth can happen, where grace can be extended, where truth can be talked about. Um, There's a phrase I've, I've used a lot, and it applies to this idea of speech, and that is there's a certain perversity that finds pleasure in other people's wrestling or displeasure. And I don't want that to be there in our homes. So I would encourage you to think about the kind of conversation that happens. Is it an environment that allows for openness and transparency, or is it an environment that um, kind of is has a lot of shame or condemnation or um, the kind of conversation that restricts openness in how our children speak to one another. I want to go to one other, uh, well, not one other, I want to go to another passage as I think about this discussion of our speech connected to our hearts. And that is where Paul talks about some patterns of speech in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, please. I'm going to read this passage because I think it's easier if I read it first and then make some comments. So um, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak to the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now the first thing I want us to note is um, that Paul here is, is talking about the impact of sin. Um, he says that when, when we sin, we give opportunity to the devil. Now, as I look at what's happening in this passage, um, look at what Paul says in verse 26 and 27. He talks about anger, and then he links the sin of anger with giving opportunity to the devil. Now, as I think about what's happening in Ephesians and even in this passage, I don't believe what Paul is saying is there are lots of sins you commit, but if you commit the sin of anger, you'll give opportunity to the devil. It seems to me, as we look at all of what's happening in Ephesians, even in chapter 6 with the armor, that sin gives opportunity to the devil. But Paul is wanting to draw a particular emphasis on the danger of anger. So he's emphasizing anger as he draws the connection between sin and giving opportunity to the devil. But he does a similar thing a few verses later. He talks about behavior that grieves the Holy Spirit. So sin gives opportunity to the devil, and sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And Paul chooses to emphasize a certain sin um, in this context. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So I think what Paul is doing here is uh, he's emphasizing the importance of speech that gives grace to the hearer. And what a beautiful description of what the home should be like. Let's look at verse 29 again. May our homes be such that our conversations are only what is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, that's a challenge to do, I know. But, I, but I, just to reflect on, on what this ideal, what this goal is. And that's what we want our children to begin to learn, to grow towards this. That there be a, a conversation, a, a speech culture in our home. That it might be one of grace, seasoned speech, fitting for the occasion that builds up, that edifies, that strengthens each other. That our siblings, uh, sorry, that our children as siblings might experience this between one another. They might taste something of a word in season which encourages and strengthens and, and gives grace. Down in verse 32, uh, a further description of what this would be like. We're to be kind to another one another, we're to be kind to one another, tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And a chief mean, uh, a significant means of expressing this kindness is in our speech. That our speech would be such that we as family members would taste, would experience the kindness and tenderheartedness of one another. So maybe a a moment to pause here as you think about this. What, What would it be like? for you to express kindness and tender-heartedness in your speech to your family members? What would it be like for that to be in your home, 
Maybe there are some places you've tasted of that and you've experienced that and you can praise God for that. Maybe there are some places where you think, I, I didn't do that so well. There could be more tenderness, more, more kindness, more generosity in our speech to one another. Okay, um, I want to go to another passage. And hopefully these will be passages that you can go back to and reflect on as you think about this theme of speech in the home. I want to go to James chapter 4 and think about the wisdom that leads to the righteous fruit of beautiful speech in our home. James um, spends a significant part of his book um, talking about the issues of speech and the implications of speech. And in chapter 3, he picks up and he he talks about the potency of our speech. And so he links um, the tongue, our words, the things we say with fire. And he gives us beautiful um, illustration that just as a spark can set a forest on fire, so a word, the potency of our words, as so a word might be spoken that brings such destruction. Um, let me just do a theological subpoint here. This is one of the many areas that reflects the fact that we're made in the image of God. When God speaks, things are created. When God speaks, it is an amazing thing. God spoke the world into existence. Now, we can't speak the world into existence. But we image God insofar as our speech has such tremendous potency. That can be a potency for good or it could be a potency to destruction. But, but words aren't, don't live in this area of neutrality, of indifference. Words are potent. It's just what kind of words are you using and what's the result of that potency. So this is Paul's concern. And he's concerned... Um, about what we would do with our tongues. And he's realistic about the tremendous challenge it is to bring our words under self-control. I I love James. Like, boy, we can read this and say, thank you, James. That's really encouraging. The ideal is there, but the realism of the challenge that it is to bring our words um, under self-control, it's wonderful to to hear that and to be encouraged by that. Um. Let me just drill down into uh, verse uh, 13. Paul, uh, Paul, James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But there have been times, I think we can all think of times in our family, where we've tasted of the, the disorder that anger and jealousy and malice can bring within our relationships in the home. It could be pretty ugly, right? Pretty ugly. Paul, um, James goes on, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness 
is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, up in the passage earlier, a, a, a bad word might be likened to a fire that destroys a forest. In contrast, a heart of wisdom that comes out through the lips in speech, verse 18, can have a harvest of righteousness. This harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then thinking about what we read from Luke, the teaching of Jesus, and, and thinking about the application of that, and Ephesians 4, and now in James, oh, that we would be a people pursuing this righteous harvest, the, the beauty and the goodness of um, fruit that comes through our lips, that we would be a people pursuing these things. And so, so how do you pursue a, a culture of rich and beautiful speech? Well, we pursue wisdom. We pursue a wisdom that, verse 17, is peaceable. We're seeking for a gentle heart that comes out with gentle speech. A humility that's open to reason and is not quick to argue and quick to judge and quick to demean. That there is a, a spirit of mercy, a, a wisdom of mercy that comes out in our speech. So there's not that harshness. There's a, there's a grace and a mercy that comes through our speech. There are all kinds of good fruits. There's a sincerity. There's an impartialness that's there. So this is the wisdom that we should be seeking. And as we seek this wisdom, James is saying, it will come out. There will be this beautiful fruit that comes from this. And then he continues on to address sinful speech patterns in the, in, amongst the saints. That, that is a serious problem. Verse 1 of chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Well, this is not a wisdom from above. It's an earthly, sensual wisdom. So here's that contrast. But I'm not going to develop chapter 4. I just want us to think about the, um, the wisdom that is from above, this wisdom that leads to this wonderful harvest of righteousness in the way we use our tongue, in the speech, in the home. Okay, one final thing. I'm looking at the time. One final thing. I want to turn to Romans 1. Um, there are many places or particular aspects of speech we could go to. I, I want to talk about thankfulness and the importance that we express thankfulness, that there's a, a pattern, a culture of thankfulness spoken because there of much necessity needs to be a, a heart pattern of thankfulness. And I just want to go to Romans 1 because I want you to show how critical thankfulness is. So Romans 1, Paul here is addressing the righteousness of God's wrath against the wicked, the wicked who reject God. God's righteous and just in extending judgment because evidence of his glory and wonder is seen in this world. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to jump in on verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. What is striking to me here 
is that of all the things Paul could say about the heart's rebellion against the Creator, the two things he uses here, the two uh, two, um, ways he categorizes this, is with an attitude of dishonor and a lack of giving thanks. Now, now this, this tells me something about how close this attitude of thankfulness is to an attitude of humility and faith. And how vital it is and how important it is that we cultivate this attitude of thankfulness. I remember one instance, and I'll finish with this story. Um, praying with one of the kids. I don't remember which one, so I can't mistakenly say their name. I can remember the gender, so I might give it away. I don't know. So um, one night, lying down to pray, and I say, let's pray. Let's give thanks to God. What can we give thanks to God to tonight? I don't want to give thanks. Okay, what do I do with that? Do I go, okay, well, I can't make you give thanks. I can't force you to give thanks. But how critical is it? And I realized, like, like the, the, maybe it was just out of childishness, but I, at the very least, I think there was some hard attitude here because that kind of came out in the conversation. And I remember thinking, what do I do here? Lord, give me wisdom because they're tired and I'm tired. I don't want a disciplining thing. I, you know, I don't want some drawn-out issue here. I don't remember how it was resolved, but I'm thankful it was resolved. But, but at that point, I realized there was something really important happening in this child's heart at this point. I am a self-made person. I'm confident in myself. And I see no need to finish this day with an attitude of thankfulness to God. This is the heart of rebellion. And, and we want to direct our children to see themselves as they really are in this world before a great and glorious God that everything we have is from his hand. And that we are to go through life with this expression of thankfulness to God. And that expression of thankfulness to God is not only coming out in our thankfulness to him, but it comes out in appreciation and thankfulness to one another. So I just encourage you to cultivate um, amongst all the things of speech that we can cultivate, to cultivate this attitude of thankfulness which is expressed in an attitude and uh, which is expressed in the words of thankfulness in our home life. It's critical. It gets right to the heart of it. And I think it's one of those ways that we can tell the temperature of where our children are. Where are they at? Is, is there a, it's our own hearts, right? When we feel entitled and selfish, when we're, when we're indulgent, we, we, there's, there's not thankfulness there. And so even for our own hearts, one of the ways that we can address our hearts and, and move towards Christ in repentance is to go, where, am I thankful? What can I be thankful for right now? Where, I, where ought I to be thankful? Why aren't I thankful? And so I, I hope, hope that maybe some of these things have been encouraging, challenging, helpful to you this evening. And I pray that we as God's people would be diligent in pursuing that our homes would have a culture of speech that honors Christ, that has the flavor of the gospel, the flavor of grace. And it creates an environment for our children to wrestle and learn and grow and flourish. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father,
we hear the challenge from Jesus that the things we say reflect something of the things that are in our heart. And when we hear this challenge, we sense the need for repentance, for how easily we speak words that do not honor you, how quickly we speak words that do not honor one another, how quickly our selfishness, our pride is expressed in our words, harshness, bitterness, anger, critique, malice, judgment that's just demeaning, it's unkind. Oh, Father, forgive us. We feel our weakness and our need. And we ask that you would help us, that we would grow in the wisdom that is from you, that we would go, grow in the wisdom that we can only have because of Christ who is our wisdom. That we might know increasing, increasingly the transforming work of your, of your work in our hearts. That our speech might be seasoned with grace. That we might build one another up. That we might in our friendships and in our family life be cultivating environments that honor you and that have the aroma, the taste of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to grow towards that. And how we long and how we look forward to that time, O Father, when all of our speech will be pure and holy. And we will know with constancy the blessing of speech that strengthens, that is good, that is beautiful. How we long for that and how we're thankful that even this side of glory, we might experience the work of your spirit. And so we praise you, glorious God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And together, God's people say, Amen. Amen.